Just imagine a world where AI-driven healthcare solutions are just as commonplace as taking your blood pressure or reading your temperature, where technology can accurately diagnose illnesses, manage hospital workflows, and reduce medical errors. We're standing on the cusp of this healthcare revolution, and it's essential to address the challenges and ethical questions that come along with it. In this episode, I'm joined by Mark Nevin, a seasoned healthcare leader at EY, and Mitchell Berger, a distinguished director at Sydney Local Health District, who's actively researching the safe and equitable implementation of AI in public health. In this episode today, we explore the complexities of AI in healthcare, from standards and publications to workforce upskilling and clinical governance, the intricacies of AI development, the role of leaders in overseeing AI implementation, and the importance of trust and transparency in AI-driven solutions. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Being a GP in Australia is a busy gig. You see a lot of patients during the day, then you're expected to find time outside of the clinic to maintain your CPD and education. A great way for GPs to access education is through podcasts. And Australia's leading education podcast for busy GPs is called The Good GP. It's had well over a million downloads, regularly ranked in the top 10 medical podcasts in Australia, and a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. The show is hosted by three GPs, Chris, Tim, and Sean, and The Good GP regularly features episodes on all the important topics that GPs need to know without all the fluff. And The Good GP podcast now has the support of MedTech Global as a key sponsor for the show. MedTech help GPs be GPs by working with clinicians in Australia and New Zealand to develop patient management systems and healthcare technology. MedTech's on a mission to digitally transform general practice so GPs can focus on quality patient care. If you're a busy GP or know someone who is, check it out, The Good GP Podcast, on your favourite podcast player. Mitch and Mark, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Pete. Good to have you on the show today. Thanks for making the time. It's great to have some uh, two different perspectives coming at uh, a very topical discussion, which we're going to dive into now. But let's help set the scene a little bit more. We'll get you to introduce yourselves. Mark, tell us about yourself. Morning, Pete. Um, so I am Mark and Evan. So I originally trained as a clinician, retrained as an economist and specialized in public policy. Um, I've worked in the space of health policy and strategy for many, many years, largely in sectors that are very reliant on medical imaging. So in the optometry sector, radiology and radiation oncology, all three which have been are being revolutionized by AI. And I've been working in that space for, say, the last four to five years. Got it. Excellent. And Mitch, what about yourself? Oh, hi, thanks, Pete. Uh, so Mitch Berg is my name. I'm Director of Strategy, Architecture, Innovation and Research at City Local Health District. I work part-time there. I'm also doing a PhD in AI implementation at UNSW in the School of Population Health. And I've got an adjunct position at UCID in the discipline of digital health and biomedical informatics. So AI is a bit of a passion for me. I was going to say, if we've got the both of you on this uh, show for an episode, it would be disappointing if we didn't cover AI in healthcare. I think that's going to be a very uh, uh, central theme to, to this discussion and not just to this discussion, but generally as well. Where, you know, it, AI in healthcare has been a topic that's always been interesting, but it feels like in 2023, it's, uh, it's really getting to the, 
the the next level. Mark, you you followed it through for quite a long time. It, uh, there's there's a lot more attention on AI now. No, look, absolutely. So it really um, initially started out with um, radiology sector and looking at the significant potential for analysis of images as well and breaking down images um, and filtering those through algorithms, etc., and predicting what exactly is is showing in those images, like looking at abnormal versus normal. There are multiple potential applications. So medical imaging and diagnosis is probably where it's gotten most traction over the last number of years, but there's a range of other even operational aspects like hospital workflow management, um, payer solutions, looking at quality and safety things as well, like medical error reduction as well. The whole realm of precision medicine, AI is a critical enabler in respect of that. So yeah, AI looks like it's on the verge of going mainstream, which is very exciting. Very exciting. It also brings new complexities and well, not new complexities, brings complexities nonetheless. And, and in healthcare in particular, ethics comes up often as uh, the, um, the, the one thing to address when it comes to really embedding artificial intelligence in healthcare, right? Look, absolutely. So um, I guess I've been working in this space for a number of years. And um, I think when considering the deployment of complex new technologies like AI, it's really time to look at, from an ethical perspective, the issues around safety, the potential for bias, and how that can influence decision-making. Um, given the black box type nature of AI, complex questions can arise in respect of accountability, the workforce readiness to work and practice safely alongside AI. Like what is, I guess, the transparency of some of those tools and how can a, a clinician um, understand and interpret that and give, I guess, advice to a consumer, the patient who's the, the key participant at the end, end of the day. And um, it's going to bring new players into the healthcare space like data scientists and how are they going to incorporate within, within a team. So managing the risks that come up with that, there needs to be a, a solid governance framework overarching all of that to ensure that those risks are, I guess, thought about and managed in, in a systematic way. Yeah. And, you know, Mitch as well, I, you know, I can see you nodding along there, but, you know, even thinking, you know, we've always talked about in health about how we need transparency and no black boxes when it comes to artificial intelligence in healthcare. And that, if you're not really in it, you, that you, you might know those words, but you don't exactly know what that means. And I think more recently, as more and more of us are, are being exposed to AI, everyone's playing with chat GPT, you kind of put, for example, you put something into a tool like outside of health, and then it just gives you an answer. And you're like, thanks, that's good. I That must be right then. So is that the whole kind of black box mentality thing? Because in, in, a, in a fun little content creation way, that's a bit of fun. In healthcare, you kind of want to know where it's got that answer from. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that for clinicians who are over time going to be increasingly relying on these sorts of technologies, that, that's a really important question because they're used to in their roles being able to to completely assure the information that goes into their decision making. Mm. You know, and and AI poses a very different a different role and it and it broadens the the set of people within a district or within a health service who have accountability. You know, and I and I think it raises questions like whether it's appropriate for clinicians to to have to assure the validity of those decisions that machines are making. You know, and and you know, we, we're sort of just starting that journey, I think, in practice, trying to understand, well, how are we going to share accountability across 
decision-making systems, as Mark said, you know, it'll, it'll really sort of change our clinical governance and our insurance paradigms, I think. Yeah. Well, that's right. We, we can't put this thing back, can we? So we're, we're going to have to deal with, with, with AI, which is a good thing. It's not dealing with it in a bad way, but it may, we, we, need, we need things around it to be able to use it effectively. So, so Mark, then is that, is that where the standards and, and, and those guardrails come in to help put those things in practice? Look, uh, look, absolutely, absolutely. So um, I worked at the College of Radiologists for a number of years and the radiology sector, I think has been a leading light in this respect. So while I was at the, at the college, I worked very closely with the board and the faculty councils and some of the senior clinicians and senior staff to really determine like how that sector ought to respond as well and what levers it has has to pull in order to do so. So we thought long and hard about where exactly we could influence. So we looked really at um, ethics, number one, as a leading body in, in radiology and shaping the, I guess, how the technology would come to market via the ethics, but also look at the standards of practice as well in relation to deployment, the, the, some of the key critical guardrails. How does the workforce change up and upskill as well to practice safely mm. alongside AI um, as the entity which sets the training curriculum for radiologists and radiation oncologists. That was a key lever um, that the college had, but also the other components in relation to regulation as well, ensuring that um, AI is regulated appropriately under, uh, at the minute it's regulated under software as a medical as a medical device. Um, but so breaking those down, I guess, I guess in turn. So in terms of like the standards, so um, like standards of practice are critical to really guide deployment and guide deployment at large scale because it sets an industry best practice and um, looking at what evidence is available and then where there's no evidence, what consensus you can develop through the um, the process of developing those standards. So in terms of um, standards, I think there's some critical components around. Firstly, standards to guide procurement of AI tools, which is really to look at the suitability of that AI tool for a particular patient cohort, like in an Australian context, has it been um, exposed to data in relation to First Nations communities? So you really need to look at from a standards perspective around procurement to interrogate the data that the AI tool was trained and tested upon, and then to see whether those findings are transparent and explainable by human expert. Um, I guess next component is really looking around workforce as well and ascertaining whether your workforce needs to be trained and upskill in respect of AI generally, but then the specific tool that's being deployed. So the workforce um, clinicians are working alongside it, understand the shortcomings of that technology and where and how they're going to give oversight in respect of that and also communicate the findings from that technology to a patient. Um, there's also a really important governance component as well in relation to standards. So clinical governance looks broadly at developing protective measures, i.e. safety measures and productive measures, which are around continuous quality insurance assurance. So clinical governance also takes responsibility for the upskilling of the staff and really determining where accountabilities would lie in respect of the technology. So what the clinicians are accountable for, what the hospital or practice group is accountable for, and whether there's any accountability for the AI supplier because of the black box nature of that of that tool. So standards of practice can really frame all of that and give then on an ongoing basis. So that's the initial deployment and then ongoing auditing and monitoring to see if the technology performs as expected. So in summary, then I guess they're the, the key guardrails that the standards can bring. And as well, that brings um, 
trust not just it brings you know the 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 quality side and and those elements that you mentioned too but then this this whole issue around trust and ai if we can put you know tr trust comes from understanding generally and and people while you know to they don't need to understand not everyone needs to understand the technical complexities of artificial intelligence and become coders but it, but people in health understand standards and 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 the, the guardrails and if there are those rules there that that gives us something to build from yeah no, exactly i'm working in consulting these days and a lot of the conversation i have in relation to ai are around that trust that trust piece and the the readiness piece so there's trust from a i guess a procurement perspective so trusting your health leaders that you've actually done your due diligence in respect of the technology so that you can deploy it safely and um, but even ai companies trying to engender trust in their technology around how it's been ethically developed. They've had medical or other input in relation to the development of that technology so that they've thought about the end user while it was being developed. So um, trust is critical in respect of these new technologies. Absolutely right, Pete. The Talking Health Tech podcast has been running since 2018 with over 400 episodes and no signs of slowing down. It's all possible thanks to the support of our THT Plus members. These are startup and scale-up members who get it. They know that collaboration starts with a conversation. And they know that to make meaningful change in healthcare, we need to break down those silos one conversation at a time. We love to feature our THT Plus startup and scale-up company members on this podcast. So you'll hear from them regularly if you listen to this show. And you'll also see they have a strong presence on our SEO-optimized website. THT Plus members can share unlimited content on our website too, like news events and jobs, which we then redistribute across our wider audience through our socials and our newsletter. If you're interested in being part of the conversation, become a THT Plus member today so we can get the word out about the most important topics in healthcare together. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus to learn more. You know, and, and Mitch, I see, you know, Mark's making some great points from, you know, a from his from what he's seen and the, and the, from the, the consulting side, does it, I'm going to totally reword that and make me sound much more intelligent in, in post-production. So Mitch, the, the, the points that Mark's raised, you know, they, they make sense to me conceptually, but you're seeing things on the ground in, in the, the health district. Do they, are these types of themes and topics and, and, and points resonating within Sydney local health district? Yeah, absolutely. But you, I mean, you picked up on a good point, Pete. They've, they're very theoretical, you know, mm. like it, I think 2019 was been referred to as peak AI principles. You know, there were thousands of ethical frameworks and best practices produced globally, you know, and I think mm. the, the real issue for, for frontline health services is the gap between those technical standards and principles and actual practice. You know, and that, one that, which is the best of the best standard, you know, exactly <laughs> you, like, no, 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 literally there have been, right. the, there are frameworks that are assimilations of other frameworks. Yeah, right. It's just, you know, it's out of control and the sort of, you know, the world's moving a little bit towards what would be called operationalization of principles, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and it's not, a, you know, it's not unique to AI, like in cyber, we've got well-established technical standards you know, regulatory bodies, policies, and, you know, we're still pretty far off achieving those at reasonable levels of maturity. So it's a big, it's going to be a big job over many years to build our institutional competencies in this. And, you know, to give you an example, um, Mark, your, your first point about, 
you know, ensuring that the systems we're using are, are, are not subject to discriminatory bias. You know, we've just taken a, a big project of ours through the, the, the relatively new New South Wales AI assurance framework process with the AI review board. And, and you know, their recommendations were really constructive and positive. And one of them was around assessing that the technology we're using um, in, happens to be wound care is suitable for our population, you know, and that, and, which is completely legitimate, you know, and, and though it raises tensions for us in the district because that product has been, has got TGA approval, you know, it's been developed using an incredible amount of, of data from, it's a US-based product, we've, you know, and it's been a subject of two RCT. So it's incredibly well validated from our point of view. The question is how much responsibility does a frontline health service have to assure a technical product that's already been through regulatory approval. And so the utility of those regulatory processes is really, you know, we don't want to have to redo everything. You know, we want to be able to sort of buy and implement these products in the same way that that providers, you know, suppliers who are trying to um, get their products used by health services to create the benefit that AI offers, you know, they don't want to keep having to ask, ask and answer the same questions. You know, so I think there's, that's a real, like, tension point for health services we don't yes the assurance process is critical of course it is but the like at some point we want to be able to rely on the regulatory processes and say point to them and say well this has got approval we're just going to start using it and get the benefit yeah i mean because we talk about regulation and how that you know in the innovation side the creation of the technology how how you know does governance slow down innovation and create, you know, barriers, but, you know, the, and the, the counter argument is, well, lean into it. And then that allows you to innovate and, and build the same goes for execution implementation too, though, is that if it, it can certainly fast track the, the, the execution and the, the, the implementation of some of these tools, but you don't want it to, you don't have to continually redo the same work as you say. Hmm. Yeah. And, it, and you're, you're right, Pete. It is, you know, in that, in that way, a robust regulatory process to approve these products for use is an incredible accelerator, mm. you know, because if we, like we might shepherd it in our district through the, the RCT process, but then other health services can rely on that experience and go for it. You know, like that, that that's an incredible, it's in incredibly important, the, the robustness of those regulatory processes. Um, I might add a couple of points there. So I think um, like the purpose of the regulation for medical devices is really to ascertain whether they're safe to place on the market for sale. So that doesn't determine that it's safe to be used in every context across a variety of different healthcare settings. Because in, in the delivery of healthcare, there's multiple different components and enablers in respect of when you're delivering healthcare. There's the um, software, there's also the hardware equipment that's used. Um, there's a range of other medical devices and such. There's the, the, um, the workforce as well, the variety of different clinicians that are used. So you've got to think more broadly in respect of whether the, the AI tool is suitable. Just because it's been regulated and placed on the market, that doesn't mean that um, your workforce is already ready to go. Uh, in respect of, of mm. that. And I think um, for me, this is where clinical governance becomes really important around taking the, I guess, the the fact that the, the tool is regulated, say, right, it's safe to place on the market, but is it suitable for use in our context? And the standards of practice and ethical guidelines, et cetera, yes, they are like a, a bit abstract as well in their application. So someone needs to sit and think, about how do we apply that in the context of our own, of our own um, clinical setting? And then what upskilling do we need for our own workforce 
as well in respect of practicing safely alongside uh, this technology. So that might be allied health professionals, it might also have a role for nursing, there might be a role for medical professionals as well in that respect. And thinking through who's going to be overseeing the technology as well and applying the findings of that technology in the in, and placing that in the context of an individual patient's characteristics and um, needs, desires, preference, et cetera. So there's a really important human element around how you apply these technologies, which is never going to be covered by the regulation piece. Yeah, it's just, it, it's part of the puzzle. And, you know, I think you're right about clinical governance, Mark. I, you know, I'll give you an example, Peter, if that's okay, from, you know, we've done, we've just about finished some research into remote monitoring and the, the viability of some of the devices, which we want to use for automated detection of deterioration for remotely monitored patients. And so, you know, the sort of forerunner capability for, for real AI stuff. Um, and, you know, that research has taken a long time, you know, a year to assess two devices, pulse oximeter and a temperature probe, mm-hmm. you know, and like 12 months of work. And it's been really, it's really robust, but what it's done is raised questions about the fitness for purpose of that data for driving automated decision-making. You know, is it valid and reliable enough to drive truly automated decision-making? Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that, th- those devices are approved for use, you know, and th- th- then that raises the question, well, do we need to separately independently conduct 12-month research projects on every device we want to use? You know, like, because there are 3,500 devices we could be using. You know, so these are really like for health services who are looking to try and implement these sorts of very complex models of care that embed use of AI, the, the, how far you go on the assurance is a real question. You know, it's yeah, obviously yeah. it's critical and that, and the assurance of that stream of data, whether it is fit for purpose is a clinical governance question, you know. To that point, the, the amount of time and effort involved in that that assurance process, you know, the 12 months for, for something like that, it's not just a annoying that it takes a long time. There's a cost associated with that too. <laughs> exactly. And there's a, you know, so there's a cost for suppliers who are trying to get their products assured across multiple markets. You know, this, it's a real, ten, it's a real balance. You know, they, they, do they have to do an RCT in every jurisdiction? You know, like, are we going to accept a bit like we do with the FDA? Um, you know, extensions of an FDA approval process, essentially within Australia, you know, these are really valid and and still open questions, you know? Yeah. You know, we've talked about some of the challenges of AI systems in, you know, in, in the real world. And, you know, something I think we were talking about earlier, Mitch, was this, this whole challenge, like AI, there's there's one point around the, the diagnostic side, but, you know, particularly when it comes to the, the administrative side or, or, um, efficiency gains, you know, there's a level of irony of, of implementing AI solutions to make a process faster, which was originally a problem caused by technology. So there's this kind of challenge of technology being implemented to reduce the burden of the technology. So are we, you know, do do we run a risk of spiraling into this ever, you know, never fulfilling <laughs> prophecy of technology to, to fix technology? Uh, uh, unquestionably, unquestionably, <laughs> you know, um, I thought, you know, we, we're sort of, I do think there's an opportunity outside the sort of clinical um, 
with pure clinical applications to do ro robotic process automation a lot more in health than we currently do. You know, that those sort of really more corporate-y um, administrative applications are really where the technology is proven. But, mm. you know, the, the, the RPA, the robotic process automation solutions we're looking at are sort of stitching together manual workflows that exist between existing mm. IT systems, yeah. you know, which is really... You know, we're going to have an army of bots running around connecting our systems together, which is probably okay in the short term, but it's it feels, as you say, really ironic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. So, but there's challenges there for, for you know health leaders in in different districts too when they look at this you know insurmountable task of of existing systems that are uh, you know it's not just iter you know it's it'd be difficult to iterate up to a, a stage where it's really efficient and, and effective. I guess, you know, do, do you, what have you learned in that process of, you know, is it all too hard and you put it, you know, you defer it? Are there little baby steps you can take to try and see some, some gains to give confidence? Hopefully there's, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for some of these health system leaders to, to implement some of these technologies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it is really hard. Like we, we've, we've put a lot of time into the sort of how we transition things from innovation and research land into production land, you know, and, and that crossing that chasm from research and innovation into production at scale is, you know, is for all the reasons we know, really, really difficult, but there are, you know, there are ways to do it. You know, I think people who know me well will, you know, laugh when I say this, but getting good at procurement is a really good way to do, to do that both on the supply side and on, you know, well, I'm in government on the government side. Mm. You could, if you get if you get your procurement process well done, you can make that transition really effectively. You know, if you're clear about what your, you know, whether it's a proof of concept, whether it's a pilot project, whether it's an operational um, footprint, you know, for your system, you can really sort of streamline that process. And you and exact exactly as you say, you can start you can start small with proof of concept and then scale up. You know, and the and the there's lots of support, certainly in New South Wales Health where I work, there's there's lots of support to do that if you sort of can navigate the process as well. But that that mm. that also takes time, you know, to get your head around, you know, the arcane policies and, and things that are often in the case in government. Sure. So, Mark, we've talked a, a lot about systems. We've talked a lot about the technologies. You touched on a few times the responsibility of, of leaders in this space, of the people, but also the, the, the uh, enabling the workforce. This is as, just as much a, a, a people challenge as a, as a technology one, right, Mark? Look, uh, absolutely. So maybe, maybe just bring that down. If we saw with the, the leaders first, like at the end of the day, leaders in healthcare are taking these calculated risks all of the time around deployment of new technologies and my advice to them would be to leverage what your the processes that you already have in respect of things like procurement um, so you can start to look at the technical readiness for an AI tool for for deployment leveraging clinical governance capabilities which exist across the board just where the workforce um, over um, upskilling is a particularly critical piece and then we touched on a moment ago just around um, that whole accountability piece and and people taking um, risks, but having a cal these are essentially calculated risks, which you need to have a framework in place to look. You've analysed the, the range of risks, and you've got a method by which you're going to um, manage manage those. I think the workforce is going to be long term the really interesting piece in respect of AI technology. So um, I've been doing some other work and research in the AI implications for the health workforce and looking at 
With the existing duties that healthcare professionals have in respect of keeping a pace with new technologies and new treatments, processes, et cetera, with healthcare, the, the requirement to do continuous professional development is based on that need and duty to stay current in respect of how you practice healthcare. And as AI becomes embedded into um, routine practice, um, first of all, in, re in respect of specialties that are using medical imaging, but then elsewhere, elsewhere as well. That um, there is a duty and a requirement to upskill for sectors in which AI technologies are pretty advanced. There's certainly an expectation from the global um, peak bodies and, and I guess standards entities around the workforce must upskill in those areas. And surveys of, of I guess young. Uh, medical specialists and medical specialist trainees have really shown and expressed a desire to upskill alongside AI. So the health workforce, I think the bar is going to raise in respect of the baseline knowledge that you need to have to practice safely in your area of medicine. And when AI comes into play in a particular specialty, they, need to, they don't need to understand exactly the ins and outs of how the technology is developed, but they need to have a broad understanding of of um, how the, how the technology is developed, not detailed, but also to understand the risks and the oversight procedures and things that they're responsible for when they're making a decision based on an AI tool. So I think the entire workforce longer term needs to upscale and reach a new, I guess, threshold for that. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a, a, like a practical example. Yeah. Like we're doing some research in, in early stage implementation of um, AI image processing systems, you know, and, and the product we're using is approved under the SAM, the SAM, the software as a medical device framework, but under the exemption within the framework that it does not provide a diagnosis, it's providing a decision support. Mm. Now the, the clinicians who are using that sort of system will have to know that the thing that looks like a diagnosis and, <laughs> and sounds like a diagnosis is actually not a diagnosis, mm. you know, and it's, and, and so they can calibrate how much they rely on it, you know, and that's quite a, you know, and like another example, this one, we, you know, we don't have anything to do, but the many listeners will be uh, familiar with the Babylon symptom checker that was used in the UK. Mm. You know, the, the underlying system within that um, symptom checker was called the Babylon triage and diagnosis system. But the fine print about terms of use said it does not provide diagnosis. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, if you're a clinician, like, is it providing a diagnosis or not? Mm. You know, and this, and if it's not, well, why are we paying for it? You know, that, and I think that's the sort of the, the, the knowledge. It's not necessarily the technical knowledge, but it's knowing can, to what extent can I rely on this? You know? Yes, yes. Exactly. And therein lies one of the major challenges as well, because if you're using a technology that's right 70, 80% of the time as well, there's a risk of automation bias, which is back to the conversation earlier about ethics. So that automation bias basically means you rely on technology that's right most of the time and you basically fall into the trap of assuming that it's going to be right pretty much all of the time. You switch off some of your other kind of um, critical thinking as well, because the technology is right most of the time. So yeah, that's that's good enough as well. That's that's going to be correct. But in respect of healthcare, the because of the relationship between the clinician and the patient and the service and the service provider across that network, the clinician is responsible for the application of that AI in respect of an individual um, decision uh, about a patient's diagnosis, treatment, management, 
whatever whatever that might be. So the clinician is a regulated entity by the APRA structures within within Australia. So at the end of the day, they're going to be responsible for if something goes wrong in respect of that patient, a large portion of the liability will rest with them. If there's something wrong with the technology and the black box nature of it, there may be some liability for the AI supplier in that respect, but there's also some overarching responsibility for, I guess, the organization, say the hospital that decided to implement the technology in the first instance. But when it boils down to how it was used in respect of a particular patient, the clinician remains responsible for that. Do you think, Mark, I mean, put your, get your crystal ball out. <laughs> is that is that always going to be the case? You know, because I know, like, obviously the premise is individual accountability. But, when, you know, when you're using systems that you can't possibly expect clinicians to introspect into and understand and assure, because they can't assure the data pipeline, you know, they don't have time, is it really, is it, you know, is it always going to be fair that they retain 100% accountability? Um, I don't think they will have 100% accountability, but I guess it depends on the instance that you're looking at. So um, I worked in professional indemnity insurance for, for a number of years. Um, um, you have to go quite forensically in terms of when something goes wrong to break down the different steps along the way and who took responsibility for the different components of that. So in respect of AI, I think the, the framework to think about is really around shared accountability and shared responsibility for the different components of that complexity. But it's really, really important to get everybody on the same page around the upfront before you deploy the technology. So there's, there's standards of practice um, that have been developed previously looks at breaking down, allocating those responsibilities across, I guess, the different actors that are involved. Because at the end of the day, Mitch, you're, you're right, it's going to be a shared accountability piece. Although when it boils down to use with a particular patient and if something goes awry, um, it'll predominantly I be the clinician for the foreseeable future, but there are aspects of shared accountability because somebody I guess higher up the management structure may have made a decision. Yes, we're going to adopt this technology um, across the hospital for all presentations that come in. But um, in respect of its use for an individual patient as well, that clinician-patient relationship is what's quite special in respect of healthcare as well, and I think will be at the forefront for for the foreseeable future. I think I think what you said there, Mark, too, and I think what what we've kind of just covered for the past couple of minutes. Encapsulate, encapsulates that whole wicked challenge of healthcare and technology innovation of the multiple stakeholders with different responsibilities and different accountabilities and different funding and and one conflicts with the other and then if but if we can see those those little steps forward of progression it helps you know us break out of some of these points you know, to, to close out some of this conversation, then, you know, I, I think the past 20 or 30 minutes or so has given this, you know, remarkably well-rounded um, overview around the opportunities with AI in health and the, the associated challenges and the way to address that. Any, for, for those heads who are swimming with potential opportunities and, and excitement or even just working out what they do now with this information. Any final thoughts or, or ways to close out this discussion? I might go with Mitch first and then Mark to, to close up. Mitch, any final thoughts? Um, no, thanks, Pete. I mean, as as Mark's been saying, I mean, I think the there are lots of pieces of the puzzle that, you know, in addition to regulation, I know I've talked a lot about that, but 
you know, workforce is a, is a big issue. Um, and I also think that the, it'll be important for health services, you know, Mark, as you previously said, to think about, it's not a completely, it's not a new thing, you know, health services are really, you know, they're in the business of innovation. They're in the business of adopting new technologies. AI is, is another technology. And so, you know, the existing governance processes, existing frameworks we've got in place, our ethical principles, you know, are well-established and strong. And so how we augment those and, t and tinker with them and tweak them to facilitate the use of, of AI, you know, rather than having a whole new thing going on, you know, mm. I, I think it's going to be a process of augmenting existing ways of working and existing processes, you know, that'll facilitate the adoption of AI rather than having a completely new framework. Um, and it's going to take, like, I think we should, it's going to take time is the other thing I would say. It's going to be a, you know, a gradual process of, of building our institutional competencies across workforce and governance and, and understanding those, you know, how use of AI affects um, accountability equations and things like that. So, you know, they're the two points yeah. I'd finish on. What about yourself, Mark? Um, look, I think there are quite a few complexities to wade through in respect of AI. AI is um, starting to get deployed at significant scale and the whole wealth of new applications as well that are coming coming downstream. I think um, it's important really for a healthcare organization really focus on three different components. So look at technical readiness as well for the adoption of that, how the data is going to be managed, the quality of the data used to train it, etc. I'm a big proponent of, of clinical governance as well. So trying to bridge that gap between the ethics and the standards and what's actually going to happen at the clinical coalface and how the work workforce is prepared to work safely alongside it as well. And figuring out some of those questions in respect of accountability as well and looking at breaking down the responsibilities and making sure every party's clear on where their responsibilities lie and how they're going to to manage those. And we've we've touched on the regulation piece. You, you can't really rely on the regulation alone to safely deploy AI in a healthcare setting. But as Mitch also touched on, you really got to leverage your existing capabilities and learn from the safe deployment that's already happened in other parts of healthcare. I couldn't have put it better myself. Mitch, if you want a gig as a podcast host as well, you're welcome anytime. Look, I, I appreciate like, but, but in all, in all seriousness, what a great way to be able to, um, you know, round out and understand these, these complexities and the challenges, but also the exciting opportunities of uh, artificial intelligence and other technologies in healthcare. You're right in that there's, it's going to take time, but hopefully through conversations like these, we can inch a little bit more forward and, and um, excite others to do the same. Mitch, Mark, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Hey, before you go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you enjoyed this show, write a nice review and give us five stars in your favorite podcast player. At the time of this recording, we've been stuck on 65 reviews on Apple. I'm not sure what that's about, but if this show is part of your regular routine and you've listened this far, It'd mean the world to me if you could take two minutes and write a nice review, give us five stars. It does more than just boost my ego. It also helps us climb the charts and reach more people. Thanks so much. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.